0: You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums Podcast, the home of Scottish Football Banter.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Scottish Football Forums Podcast, season eight, season 42, getting to the tail end of the season. Um, I'm John, one of um, the other John isn't here tonight, but we are joined by Chris. Hello. Yeah, um, yeah unfortunately, we could have been um, recording in better circumstances, um, but there's been um, the sad passing of two Lisbon lines um, in the past seven days. Um, first of all, the greatest ever captain, Bill McNeil, and uh, Steve Chalmers. And um, here is a, a tribute, uh, an obituary to um, the two legends. In the last seven days, two members of the Celtic side that famously defeated Inter Milan in the 1967 European Cup final sadly passed away. Billy McNeil, who became the first British captain to lift the European Cup, died on Monday 22nd of April at the age of 79 after a long battle with dementia. Less than a week later, the man who scored the winning goal that night in Lisbon, Steve Chalmers, also passed away after battling the same disease at the age of 83. Of that started living at Concord Europe almost 52 years ago, only five are now with us to show their tributes to their colleagues and friends. Even into themselves paid tribute to Celtic's greatest ever captain and the man who scored the club's most f- famous goal, showing their respect to key members of a special team all born within a 30-mile radius from Glasgow. Here is our obituary, obituary to two pivotal men to Scottish football's greatest club triumph. Billy McNeil was born on the 2nd of March 1914, in Bells Hill. He joined Celtic in 1957 after being spotted by Jock Steen, then reserve team coach, during a Scotland Schoolboys game against England and made the first of 790 appearances for the club the following year. However, it wasn't all playing sailing to begin with as Celtic went through a lean period. The appointment of Steen as manager in March 1965 changed Celtic's fortunes and McNeil, by now Celtic's captain, was at heart of it all. It was his towering head on the 1965 Scottish Cup final against Dunfermline that ended an eight-year wait for silverware and the dawn of a golden era for the boys was born. Over the next ten years, McNeil would go on to captain Celtic to nine consecutive league titles, six Scottish Cups, six League Cups and the small matter of the European Cup. In May 1967, May, Celtic came from behind to defeat Inter Milan by two goals to one in Lisbon, thus becoming the first non-Latin side to win European football's most prestigious honour. It gave Billy McNeill the honour of being the first British captain to hold aloft the European Cup, a moment Celtic fans will cherish forever. Billy Stark, who later played under McNeill at Parkhead, recalls the impact that result had for Scottish football. It
2: was a, it was a big thing. It was when uh, Scottish football, you almost felt ruled the world because we had beaten England at Wembley just weeks before it. And I would have been probably about ten at the time. Was able to. No, Those cool to watch the game, so it was, uh, you know, particularly in retrospect, it's a feat that's never
1: going to be repeated. McNeil retired in 1975 after the Scottish Cup final win over Airdrie and turned his hand to management two years later. An eight-game spell at Clyde at the end of the 1976-77 season was followed by the lure of heading north to Aberdeen to succeed Ally McLeod, after Steen's recommendation to Dick Donald that his former captain was right for the job season 1977-78 was very nearly successful for the Dons. Despite going 23 games in all competitions undefeated from Christmas Eve until the end of the season, Aberdeen missed out on the Premier Division title on the last day of the season to Rangers, before going down 2-1 in the Scottish Cup finals to the same opposition, who completed the treble. A few weeks later, Aberdeen would be looking for a new manager, as McNeil was asked by Celtic to take over from Steen, a chance he simply couldn't turn down. Although he was only positioned for a year, McNeil left good foundations for Alex Ferguson to build upon. As Aberdeen fan Ali Beg explains,
0: you know the fact that he is, even though he was only there for 12 months, he's got the highest win percentage of any Aberdeen manager in the club's history. I think just tells you if then you need to know in the 12 months that he was there, finished second in the league, lost the league on the last day of the season, reached the Scottish Cup final, um, we lost the Scottish Cup final. If you look back on on the history books and you read the history books and you speak to people that were involved in that game and on that day, nobody understood why Aberdeen froze that day because they came into it 23 games unbeaten since December. And on the day itself, we just froze. Um, And actually, Billy did say to me that was one of his biggest disappointments was the Scottish Cup final that year because he really fancied Aberdeen to beat Rangers that day. And for some reason, they just came unstuck. Um, But the fact that he bought... Gordon Strachan from Dundee he bought Stevie Archibald from Clyde, he gave Alex McLeish his debut, he signed Neil Simpson, he convinced Willie Miller to sign a long term extension to his contract when it looked like Willie was possibly going to leave at that time I think just speaks volumes for for what he did behind the scenes as well and it, it, it it's obvious the foundations that he lay for Sir Alex Ferguson to come in and basically take over but I also think it should also be remembered that John Clark was his right-hand man and his best pal, you know, his, his central defensive partnership at Celtic for, for so many years and his best pal and um, John played a pivotal role in that as well. So the two of them together really laid the foundations for Sir Alex Ferguson to take over and then obviously take it forward from there. So Billy's rightful passage in the history of our football club should always be remembered.
1: Whilst Aberdeen went on to greater things over the next eight years, Billy McNeill would show that he was more than able to step into his predecessor's shoes at Parkhead. Over a five-year period, Celtic would go on to win three titles, a Scottish Cup and a League Cup. Two of the titles were clinched on the final day of the league season, including the famous Ten Men Win the League Season in 1979, where Celtic overcame a Johnny Doyle red card to defeat Old Old Firm Rivals Rangers at Celtic Park. McNeill departed in the summer of 1983 after disagreements with the club board over transfer funds and tried his hand down south. Three years at Manchester City, where he won promotion to top flight in 1985, were followed by a poor season at Aston Villa, where he was sacked following the relegation. In the summer of 87, Celtic needed a manager to take them into their centenary season. There was only one man for the job and Billy McNeil once more followed his heart back to paradise for a second spell in the Parkhead hot seat. He bought astutely that summer, bringing in Mike McCarthy, Andy Walker, Mark McGee, Chris Morris and Billy Stark. Having won two titles, two Scottish Cups and the League Cup with Aberdeen, Stark was signed by McNeil to bring in his experience as Celtic bid to overcome Graham's and Mrs. Rangers' revolution and he spoke of his pride at his surprise move.
2: Well, I was at a... An advanced stage in my career, and uh, you know, the, the first thing was, you know, a, a bit of surprise. I had been with Aberdeen for four years and enjoyed my time there. I decided I was my contract was up, and I was decided I decided to leave. Alex Ferguson had left, and I felt it was the right move to come back down to the west of Scotland. And as I say, never for a minute did I think that Celtic would uh, point a destination. But I think circumstances worked for me. We, Celtic losing a number of top players Brian McClare, Mulder McLeod Alan McAnally and Mo Johnson and obviously Billy McNeil had just got the job after Derry Hayes, so he needed to recruit quickly and uh, he needed to recruit some experienced players as well and uh, fortunately for me I came into that category and uh, as I say it was, a, it was a great move for me even though I had great times at Aberdeen and managed to win trophies the lure of signing for Celtic was too great to, to pass up, and you know I was uh, delighted to, to be able to do that. So that's uh, how it transpired, and uh, to
1: say it was a great time for me. Celtic got off to a good start in the league, winning four of the first five games, which crucially included the first old Firm match at Parkhead. Stark got the only goal of the game, a moment he treasures to this day.
2: Yeah, to say it was uh, it was again, you know your first old Firm game. Although you had, you know, good experience and played in the uh, cup winning teams and all the rest of it, then uh, you know, you still felt how big a game that was. And you say, luckily for me, I was able to score what's, what turned out to be the winning goal, uh, although it was very early in the game. So you know, that that's uh, that's a very uh, rapid way to get the Celtic supporters on your side.
1: A few weeks after that Old Firm win, McNeil strengthened Celtic's firepower further by bringing in Frank McIverney from West Ham. McIverney, liked to social life, often testing McNeil's patience whenever he arrived late from a two-day drinking session in London. Whatever McIver got up to off the part, he ensured he did the business on the pitch as he played his part along with a determined group of players to help Celtic stroll towards the title, clinched with a 3-0 home win over Dundee. A dramatic victory over Hearts at Hampden, took Celtic to the Scottish Cup final with Dundee United standing in their way of a dream double. Things were not going their way as Kevin Gallagher put United ahead and it looked as though they were going to destroy Celtic's dream. Step forward Frank McIvenny, who popped in who popped up with two late goals to turn the final on its head and seal a memorable double for the boys. It summed up the never say die spirit of the Centennial Year squad put together by McNeil as Billy Stark explains.
2: Well I think it did in, in way that, that, that team has the reputation of scoring late goals and winning games and, and you know I, I, I don't know if that sort of gets exaggerated a wee bit and I think I, think I know why because those two games that you mentioned, Hearts and Dundee United, to be 1-0 down uh, with whatever it was five minutes to go or even less than that in some cases to not only come back and equalize but to go in and win the game was stuff a uh, stuffer legend so you know you, you, it's not something that we uh, planned that's for sure <laughs> you want to try and win the game as soon as you can when you go on the pitch but you know we're talking about quality teams then Rangers obviously spending big money Aberdeen were a top side still Dundee United you know still part of the greatest times in Dundee United's history and of course they uh, were very very strong uh, having just missed out in the and Cup double in the, the 86 the 85-86 season so you know, that was the quality you were up against, so, you know, you knew sometimes you had to go the distance to get the reward at the end of the day, and as you say, as you say the, the fairy tale finishes both those games uh, was quite remarkable, and I said, you no, know, just to equalise with a minute or two to go, but then to go and uh, go for the throat, really, and, and get the, the, the winning goal without having
1: to go to extra time was, was quite amazing. That was to be as good as it got for Celtic in Billy McNeil's second spell. Although a second consecutive Scottish Cup was won the following season, Celtic toiled way behind big spending Rangers and Alex Smith Aberdeen over the next three years, and McNeil was sacked in nineteen ninety one at a time where a power struggle within the club board began to overshadow events on the park. It proved to be his last managerial job. In the years that followed, McNeil was a regular and respected co-commentator alongside Jock Brown for BBC Scotland and Sky Sports and was often around Celtic Park, either at functions with his fellow Lisbon Lions or in his role as ambassador. One of the many things said about Billy McNeil was that he would go out of his way to help out, whether it be supporters' functions, charity events or just giving a bit of advice here and there. Ali Beg found this out to his advantage in his days as host of Celtic TV when he considered his immediate
0: future at station. The people that were running the channel at the time, quite rightly so, sort of put out uh, uh, a request for fans to tell us what they thought of the channel and how they think we could improve it and just wanted general feedback from those who were subscribing to the channel. Um, what I wasn't expecting was a little bit of a backlash against myself. Now, don't get me wrong; it, it, it was minimal, and thankfully, the, the majority of the stuff that came through was very, very positive, for which obviously I was extremely humbled by. But there were the odd, extremely unflattering letter and comment here and there. So there was one particular letter which really left me quite down, and I don't usually allow these things to get to me, but it was, it was, it was, it was quite biting it really was and it, and it, and it actually hurt my feelings um, and I thought it was unjust and I thought it was unfair and I was just having a quiet moment to myself um, downstairs in the the old canteen and Billy came in and he just sensed it he could sense it immediately and he came over and I, ha- I actually had the letter in my hand and I showed it to him and he read it and he just laughed it off and he just basically said to me look you, you have to do your best to Learn from these kind of things. He says, don't let it eat away at you, because if it does, it'll just peck at your head and it'll play on your mind, and then you'll just try too hard, which will then make your job unnatural. He says, you've got a very natural way about you. He says, don't lose that, because if you try too hard, it will come across as that. So he just basically said to me, use it as a means of inspiration. Show that person that's written that letter that you're worthy of the position, and that you're professional first and foremost. He said, we all know that you're an Aberdeen fan. He said, it's completely and utterly irrelevant. I was a huge Celtic man. I am a huge Celtic man, but yet I managed Aberdeen for 12 months. And whenever I'd managed Aberdeen, I did my utmost to make sure when we played Celtic, we won the game. And he said, you've got to do the same. He said, you've got to show people how professional you are. And he just he just basically gave me really sound advice, and I took the advice on board, and I became a better person for it, and I became, I think, I would like to think, a better all-round broadcaster for it as well, um, so it was a very valuable lesson for me, um, so I'll never forget that, and he was, he, was, he was very kind about it, that's what really struck me in that moment, you know, it only took five minutes, but he, he showed this real caring side to him, um, which I will obviously always be very grateful for.
1: In 2010, Billy McNeil was diagnosed with dementia, and his public engagements became fewer and his, as his health deteriorated. One, one of those occasions was to witness the unveiling of a statue at Parkhead of the club's greatest moment, McNeil holding aloft the European Cup, ensuring further that his legacy is in place forever. The word legend is often overstated in football. In the case of Billy McNeil, it is very fitting for a man who supported, captained and managed his boyhood heroes, only have to look at the tributes paid to him to show that he was a special man, even from fans and players of Old Firm Rivals Rangers. Billy Stark and Ali Begg summarised just what he meant to them.
2: The only regret that I have is that I wasn't able to know him for longer than I did, and so there was lots of people that paid tribute, uh, myself included, that that, uh, recognised there was a, a whole lot of people that were uh, larger in his life than, than I was, but I was I was uh, honoured to have played a small part in it, and as uh, I say, grateful for him for giving me the chance to know him and to play for
0: Celtic. He's the greatest Celtic player ever, as far as I'm concerned. I know people will talk about Jimmy Johnston and Hen Larson and these guys, but from Billy Stature and the type of person that he was, you know, I, I, I only met Jimmy Jones, Johnson very briefly. Um, I've met Hen Larson out here a few times when he's come out to act as a guest. Um very nice man, very charming man. Um, but because of the way that I, I knew Billy and was very fortunate to, to know him over that period when I was living in Glasgow, he'll just for me he'll be the greatest salesman man ever.
1: Stephen Chalmers was born on Boxing Day nineteen thirty five in Glasgow. His career began with Ashfield Juniors in nineteen fifty six. A year after being diagnosed with tuberculosis meningitis and being told he only had weeks to live. He overcame the scare thanks to the help of Rangers fan Dr Peter Mackenzie, meaning he was one of the first people in Scotland to beat the disease. After a trial with Dumbarton, Chalmers signed for Celtic in 1959. He spent 12 years at the club and scored an impressive 228 goals in 393 appearances in the hoops, which places him fifth in the list of Celtic's highest ever goal scorers. The most famous goal of all came with six minutes to play in the 1967 European Cup final when Chalmers diverted a shot from Bobby Murdoch past Inter Milan goalkeeper Sartre to clinch a memorable 2-1 win in the heat of Lisbon. Celtic became the first British team to win the European Cup and Stevie Chalmers would be immortalised by Celtic fans forever. Billy Starr summarises how good a striker Chalmers was.
2: Yeah, well you always remember, you know, the, the, when you won the the games, the commentaries and Chalmers scored again and you know he he was quick he wasn't the most blessed technically Stevie but he was a workhorse he was quick and he had that, that that thing that not very many have he was a natural goal scorer whether it was toe pokes or you know finishes in and around the box to be, to be the fifth highest goal scorer in Celtic's history in the history of that club is quite amazing you know even set aside from uh, having scored the winning goal in the European Cup final it wasn't a flash in the pan that nah, it was uh, a body of work over a number of years that you know, had, had everybody given the greatest respect at a, a phenomenal goalscorer.
1: Chalmers left in 1971 to join Morton after a 12-year medal haul that included four Scottish titles, three Scottish Cups, four League Cups and, of course, the European Cup. He then moved to Partick Thistle the following year and played for three more years before retiring in 1975. He may have scored Celtic's most iconic goal, but that didn't affect how he treated others. As Stark explains,
2: David was a gentleman, quietly spoken, very respectful as well as well as respected. And uh, as I say, he, he, he talked to you just like he'd, he'd known you all his life. You know, there was a, 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 always a reverence round about the Lisbon lines, but you never. Steve, made you immediately feel that you weren't uh, you, wasn't anything special. Even though he scored the winning goal in the European Cup final, the, the only man to do so, as I said, you know, going to Billy Carter Celtic, uh, and Celtic and the Lisbon Lions all at their place, but to have scored the winning goal had a special place in Scottish history as well, so uh, he, he was just an ordinary guy when you spoke to him and never had any ears or graces.
1: The passing of Billy McNeil and Steve Chalmers is a sad time not only for the Celtic family, but for Scottish football, where the respective contributions to that Lisbon-Lions side will always be treasured. Our thoughts go out to the respective families. Legends Billy McNeil and Steve Chalmers, who sadly passed away with dementia um, over the past seven days. Um, Chris, being a Celtic fan, just sum up events of the last seven days. Yeah, it's it's,
3: um, it's been a tough one to take, but... Um... I think dementia is a horrible thing. Um, so, on the one hand, everybody's very saddened by the, the loss of, of both uh, Bob McNeill and Stevie Chalmers, but on the other hand, there's a feeling that it's good that the suffering's coming to an end. Um, hopefully now uh, the families can, can, can know that their, their loved ones are at peace um, and... Now we move on to the the great memories and stories that have been told. I mean, um, Paul McNeil passed away. On, I think it was Tuesday, on Monday night, um, last week. So we've had about a week's worth of of uh, of, of commemorations for him, um, and there are many stories to tell. I mean, I, I I'm not old enough to remember him playing. Um, uh, I don't even old enough to remember his first spell in charge at Celtic, but uh, I certainly he was a manager when I first took a real interest in, in Scottish football and in Celtic in particular so I've I've reasonably fond memories of, of this time then um, unfortunately my, my first memory was losing the cup final so um, <laughs> I, I've, I've certainly I've, the, the, the thing about growing up as a Celtic fan though is that you, you get the stories of the, the, the all the history that goes with the club and so um, both Brian and Stevie Chalmers are um, names that you, you can rhyme off <laughs> Eventually, almost um, nine other teammates from the the famous day in Lisbon. Um, but I mean, obviously the, the captain of that team, so um, he was the man and lifted the trophy. But um, Stevie Chalmers was the man that got the, the winning goal. So the, the, the two men will forever be legends, forever be talked about. Um, and it's, it's not just the achievements that they had in Lisbon. I mean... Um, like Bill McNeil kicked off the, the Jocksteen era with a, the winning goal in the, the 65 Cup final against Duff Um His last act was a, a win in the Scottish Cup in 75 uh, before his retirement. Um, Stevie Chalmers is like the fourth top scorer in Celtics history, um, one of only six men to have scored more than 200 goals. Is he uh, not one... fifth? I read fifth um, online. He's fourth. Is it there's, fourth? There's, right. There's, there's only. Yeah, the, I don't know why they get got five, because there's only Henrik Larson that's ahead of him with 242. Uh, Bobby Lericks is in 278, I think. And then a way off in front is Jimmy McGorry with like 400. Um, so uh, I don't think uh, McGorry will be getting caught. Uh, but um, certainly in, in my lifetime, Stevie Chalmers was went from being third to fourth. So um, that's certainly possible. We had... Uh, there's only 29 men are in the, the, the Century Club of goals for Celtic, and Lee Griffiths became the 29th earlier this season, so, um, yeah, it was, for, for the only six men in, in Celtic's history, have scored um, more than 200 goals, and, and Stevie Chalmers did one of them, so he's obviously remembered for the goal that clinched it in Lisbon, but there's so many more goals that he scored in his time, He scored against, um, but, but both him and both scored against Rangers in, in, in various games, and yeah, uh, so it was, it was good to get score against the rivals. But um I think um McNeil scored against the, the winner against Five and the weight of Lisbon. Chalmers had his own uh, goals during the, the run to Lisbon as well. So uh yeah, certainly the that the, there's nothing I can say about the two men that hasn't been said already and that people who remember those days couldn't say better than me. Um but all I can really say is um I've heard the stories. I will continue to tell the stories myself, um, and their names will live forever in Celtic history.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the legacy that um, these guys, uh, um, you know, have created. Um, it's not just the fact that what um, they won, but the fact that they've conducted themselves well as ambassadors. Um, the the other two th- one thing I did, didn't mention in the tribute, as you'll have heard, I didn't cover their international careers because Steven Chamber's only got five caps. He's got three goals in that period. I read that he actually scored against Brazil. Um, and Billy McNeil had twenty-nine caps. When you think about it, that was vastly um you know vastly undercapped the two of them. Um, obviously it came at a controversial era, which we won't look into too much, but um Billy McNeil since been re-inducted into the Scottish Football Hall of Fame since they um they made it out with the fifty caps plus. Yeah. But you, you think you think of the year, I mean having him and John Greg were great um friends at church. You Could just imagine what a good defence that would have be been a day two being paired more often? Absolutely. And could Scotland have qualified for more World Cups and European Championships that time?
3: I mean it's possible. I mean the obviously we, we didn't really qualify for anything. We, we qualified in fifty four and then didn't qualify again until seventy four. So that kind of kinda spans the McNeils, you know. Um, as, as you say, Stevie Chalmers only got capped five times but did score three times within that period, so um, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's questions there as well. Um, I, I, one of the other things that's that, um, quite funny is that Stevie Chalmers had some terrific goal scoring record um, in the 66-67 season um, and still wasn't top scorer because Joe McBride, who um, went out with a knee injury in December of that season, but scored more. <laughs> um, and then, so so Joe McBride obviously wasn't available for the Lisbon Cup final, and then unfortunately Stevie Chalmers broke his leg in the League Cup um, final of '69-70, uh, which kept him out for the rest of the season, which meant he missed the 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 other final that Celtic played in in Milan in, in 1970 against Feyenoord. Um, mm-hmm. So it's is odd that such a great goal scorer was missing from both finals that Celtic played in the, the European Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean
1: the achievements for phenomenal. I mean, um, like you, um my first memory of Bill McNeil was when he was manager at Celtic in the cup final, um, ninety night that we bring up now and then. Um <laughs> but um it, it wasn't mentioned at all in the um in the tribute, you know, I, I behaved myself in that way and, um, as much um but and also I mean it, the way he conducted himself was a, a it, when he was manager at Celtic at that point, it was a pretty um, difficult year. I mean, although they won the, du- the, the Centennial Double, um, it, that was as good as it got. You know, it didn't. they won the cup final the next year uh, with Joe Myers goal against Celtic, but then they were fifth in the league um, and then they finished third and didn't get to any cup finals, or they didn't get a Scottish cup final the year after they lost to Motherwell and they lost his job. But it was at a time where Celtic were going through major um, boardroom upheaval. But, you know, I liked him as a co-commentator, um, Major Brown as well. I thought he came across very well. He was never biased, even when it was Celtic games. He never, uh, but it just seems real approachable, as Ali Begg was saying from his time at Celtic TV. Um, you know, he put out the blog last week about um, he was getting hate mail and Bellman um Picked it up, read it, and gave Ali um, a good bit of advice just to basically say you can either let it bother you or you can just um, put it to the back of your mind and um, don't
3: let it defeat you and become a better presenter for it yeah the, the, the it's I it was just it was a few weeks ago there was talk of um what the, the respect that people have had in, in, in the game today so you've got like, there was people wondering about how Scott Brown had acted in the, the Celtic Rangers game and um, and how he'd been celebrating in front of Rangers fans, and he would never have had that back in the past era. And, uh, to, I mean, for the most part, I think there, there's there's merit to those comments because, like, you won't find footage of this happening with Balmain or John Gregg or, or going to, further back to that. But it just it seems to be a more recent thing that there's there's problems on the park as compared to off the park. Um, there was always issues off the park as well, but. Um, there was generally a mutual respect between the, the players um, because I think they kind of needed it back then because they were these guys were just the same as us. They were fans of the teams they were playing for. They, but because they were representing the club on the park and they had to live in the same environment as the rest of us, um, unlike now where they can live in their big mansions because they get paid in a week what most of us get paid in a year. Um <laughs> If we're lucky, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're they, 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 they're a bit more removed from us than they were back in that era. So, like, if if the likes of McNeil or Greg had acted up, then they would have got told off in the pub, <laughs> probably <laughs> the pub that they owned. <laughs> um, whereas now, like, I couldn't even tell you where Scott Brown lives. I couldn't even tell you what he does during the week other on train. Um. And obviously, so I'm picking a Scott Brown here, but um, it's just the, the it's just I think it's the way football has gone that the the players are a bit more removed. So that again, it, you look back at the the outpouring of, of of grief that we've seen over the last week, over the likes of McNeil and now Chalmers, um, it comes from the fact that these guys are just us on the park you barely get that anymore, it doesn't feel the same, it's not like um, you, you, there's very little identity um, between the fans and the players, without exception I mean, we, like, we know Keirn Tierney's the same because <laughs> he's when, he, literally when he's not in the park he's in with us so, um, but, but he's more of an exception, back then you were looking at like, players that were well, McNeil was with Celtic for 18 years Chalmers was there for 12 Um you just don't get that it anymore. Like, you look at the, the recent heroes in the Celtics team, you think, them Dembele, which is for a couple of years and he's away. Um, Scott Sinclair looks like, I don't know whether he's going to be here much longer either. Um, even even Tierney, who you think, you know, cut him in boots green. You wonder if he's going to be here his whole career. You'd be surprised if he was, that he doesn't get the opportunity to go and make a bit more money somewhere in one of the bigger leagues. It's just the way football has gone. Yeah. Um, but the, look, back then it was it just wasn't unusual for players to be hanging around for the entire career. Mm-hmm. And, like, testimonials were frequent because you were with the club for ten years, and that was a way for for you making money again. It goes back to the money difference. Um, now, mm-hmm. like, we had a, we had a testimonial for Scott Brown, but it was not for charity.
1: <laughs> yeah, because he's
3: already made his money from me. Yeah, he sells it to career, and
1: that's just. <laughs> Um, because the way testimonials were back then was just, you know, to give them one big payday um, before they did um, eventually. times They had some some former living, although some of the older footballers would have probably put that um, into a business or into a pub or whatever um, and then another former career like you and I. Um, there was obviously the special tribute before the game on Saturday. Um, it was a mixture, a 67 second um, mixture of um, applause and singing and uh, For what I saw, it looked, um, it was pretty well. It was always going to be well respected,
3: um, and you know it just sounded really good. Yeah, I, I mean the, the the tributes across the country were all well respected, um, as you would uh, expect. Um, yeah, just um, of of the names in Scottish football that have done the uh, achieved the most, it's hard to say that uh, McNeil hasn't achieved the most. Apart from the European Cup, there's no other. There's nobody else has done that for a Scottish club. Certainly, you're, you're hard pushed to find Scotsmen that have actually lifted that trophy at all. Um, I mean, I ran through the list when last at the end of last season just to kind of have a look at the kind of numbers it was when there was a chance that Andy Robertson could get his hands on it last season. Um, and it's like you're looking at the majority of them are either like Celtic, obviously had eleven. Um, Liverpool were quite good at having a few. Forrest had a few, um, and then like I think the most recent was um, technically Darren Fletcher. I think, um, yeah. I don't think he featured in the games, uh, no. unlike like Paul Lambert, who when he was at Dortmund, he obviously was a Martin Zidane out of the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they're, they're few and far between. So, um, but, but certainly when it comes to, laughing um, for a Scottish team, you're talking. Oh, well, you've got Barry McNeil, you've got John Gregg for the Cup Winners' Cup, you've got Miller for the the Cup Winners' Cup and the Super Cup. That's a lot. Yeah,
1: and it's likely that's never going to be beaten by the way of football, as you say, because yeah. um, you've got a Champions League which um, doesn't include champions. It's mainly fourth place teams in England and Spain and Italy, etc. Um, and the, you know the money's ridiculous. Where like um, Bournemouth, what for what Celtic can bring in because is the, the league that they play, not because certainly not with the size so of club Bournemouth are um, because Bournemouth and eyes are no bigger than an Aberdeen Hearts or hips. Fact, they're a smaller club, no see, but that's another issue. Yep. But um, yeah, it was a it's a good tribute. But a, a more fitting tribute um, and an expected tribute was um, on the, the day of celebration of uh, the Celtic's greatest number five from year 1967. Um, there was a goal by a number five on 67 minutes by Joseph Simonovic <laughs> to break the deadlock. What was a pretty stuffy game, but lots of things.
3: It's the 68th minute, technically. <laughs> <laughs> so of so oh that. That is just some people are so anal about these things. It's like, yes, technically it was the sixty-eighth minute in the same way that nineteen sixty seven was the sixty-eighth minute of the or the sixty-eighth year of the twentieth century. This is all I've seen for days on Twitter. Um it's you know what, the clock said sixty-seven. In fact I'm pretty sure when he made the header it said sixty-seven oh five. So um, yeah, I was. I mean, the, it wasn't just the fact that it was a number five in the sixty-seven five on the clock. It was the way he did it as well. It was a towering header, just like yeah. blowing Neil would <laughs> It was just. It was, it was almost absolutely perfect. Um, the biggest shame was the rest of the game. To be honest, it wasn't a great game. Um, I think Kilmarnock will be disappointed. Uh, how it went? Uh, certainly, Chris Porter had a couple of chances. Certainly, one where he was one on one with the keeper, and he, you know, he should have done better with it. Um, but the, the, I think um, Brophy had a half chance where I kind of gifted him it, but I recovered. Um, so no, uh, no, come on! Certainly, half time, come on! to the better changes. Um, other than a Rodic one that he fired well over the bar, I can't think of anything else that they were had in the first half. Um, slightly better in the second half, there was a good lineup up between Edward and Rodic. Um, but yeah, the, the I don't think anybody's going to complain too much of the fact that it was one single goal scored by our number five. And it's funny how this happens quite a lot because um, the one I remember straight away was when Jimmy Johnson passed away, we played the, the League Cup final against the Fairbourn. Um Now, technically, Everybody had a number seven on their shorts in that final. So it didn't matter who scored, it was going to be a number seven. But it was Magic Zahravsky, um, who had. Who was Celtic's number seven at the time. Um, when Tommy Burns passed away in 2008, we had to wait a few, like, ten days or so before we played our final league game uh, on the Thursday night at Arndyce, And it was Jan Veneguer of Heselink who got the goal that night. Our number ten. Same as Tommy Burns. Um, and now, obviously, this game as well. Um, if you wanted to go... The, the, one, the one I found um, when I was looking back to see how frequent this happens, um, when Tommy Gemmel passed away, uh, we then played St Mirren a couple of days later in the Scottish Cup uh, and St Moran took the lead, so technically it wasn't the first goal afterwards, um, but the equaliser was scored by one of our full Lustig um, now not as a here sadly not the number three but still a fullback which amused me um, but the other one I found if you want to go way way back to when um, Bobby Murdoch died Celtic played a testimonial against uh, Man United for Tom Boyd that same day um, and I think it was like 2-0 at Man United or something like that. So, Celtic mm. didn't score that day. We then played two league games and got beat 1-0 and 2-0, so didn't score that day. So, the next time Celtic scored a goal was the Scottish Cup final against Tibbs. And who opened the score on that day? Jackie McNamara, Celtic's number four. The same as Bobby Murdoch. So, I think you're clutched uh, at straws with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, well, what, what I would say is see if you're going to bet on Celtic scoring another goal. It'll be when Lee Griffiths comes back. <laughs> that's yeah, the so, part He's, he's reportedly coming back soon, so we shall see. Whether he's back for um, Saturday's game on Petaudry, I don't know. but um, Certainly, um, it's, 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 it would have been nice if we could have um, clinched the title this weekend, but I think we kind of made a mess of that the week before. Because um, ultimately we were relying on taking some Ibrox the following day, once we'd won the game against Kilmarnock. Um, but I think it would have been even nicer had that goal that Celtic got against Kilmarnock had been the, the title clincher itself. Um wasn't to be, not like like Um But it's now Celtic are nine points clear, three games to go. We need to lose all three. Rangers need to win all three, otherwise Celtic will be champions. Um, it seems highly unlikely. Um, but again, Celtic aren't exactly firing all cylinders but still haven't lost in 2019 domestically yeah so. well well i can't see anything other unfortunately
1: than um celtic taking at least something on saturday um because aberdeen haven't won at parkhead uh, against celtic at pitaudry since um february 2016 uh, when simon church scored um, the second goal in that game that's how far back we're talking um our form was horrendous. Just um, I, I know we beat Cobán, but we didn't play particularly great. But the performance against Celtic CFL was awful. Um, the performance on Sunday uh, was worse. Um, <laughs> it was a it was a dreadful performance. There was just no attacking threat at all. And I get with didn't you know now again being out is um, obviously a blow. Shinny being out injured in the midfield, you know we lost that drive from that position. Um, that's obviously a big blow. Um, and then. We'll lose Conor McLennan fairly uh, early on. But take that that aside. There was just nothing to get. It was just long ball. um, Cosgrove winning absolutely nothing of the um, the long balls that came his way. Um, Wilson um, started the game. Sometimes you forgot he was on the park. Um, He was so ineffective. Um, And Joe Lewis was the reason it was still 0-0 getting into halftime. That's that's it. I mean, the the first penalty incident... I don't think there's a doubt that Catech um, is filled for that one. The big debate. Mm. Um, the big debate before it is um, was
3: Ferguson filled first. Yeah. Um,
1: to be, or- to be honest, the you can, there is,
3: yeah. You can probably go further back than that because um, Ferguson was filled, but um, in my eyes Ferguson was filled by the four who maybe should have been on the park. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Because apparently yeah. you can you can quite happily slap um, Lewis in the face with one hand and then swing the other hand in as well and get away with it completely. Um, yeah. I, I, that, I, that was a very bizarre incident because I wasn't watching the game. I had the radio on um, and I was listening to Willie Miller basically saying I could, that Lewis and the could have avoided each other. And I, when he was describing it on the radio, I was expecting to go in and see a video of the, like, Lewis jumped up in the air and landed in the fours or like to catch it. But no, Lewis runs out and catches a ball and that's about it, and then Defoe kind of runs into him, and then for some reason raises his hand into his face, and then swings another arm round, I, I don't understand what Defoe's doing at all, and technically, I, would, I think it's a red card, Um, had he given him a yellow though, Defoe was also booked in the first half for handball, Yeah. so Defoe shouldn't have been on the park when this penalty happened, yeah, that that's that's true.
1: You know, um, I'd, I'll be honest, I'd forgotten about the the full punch for a minute. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt he should have been set um, set off for two bookings um, because the first instance, at least the booking, I don't even know if the referee even gave a free kick, which made it worse. Um, but you know, going back to the the penal incident, I think the difference um, with that incident is you've got um, a Scottish player who's trying to do the honourable thing and staying up, and you've got uh, a foreign player who um, feels contact and goes down now that's not me stereotyping because obviously there's lots of scottish players who feel contact and go down um for example chief promoter andy walker um mm-hmm. but um i don't think we can complain too much about there being a foul for that one the second penalty instant that is an absolute joke of a decision and to compound that by giving Constant a second booking which we can't appeal um was ridiculous but taking those couple of instances out the equation I've got no complaints over a 2-0 scoreline. I think Rangers were by far the better team, the more adventurous team. Aberdeen offered nothing to the game, and we deserved a 2-0 defeat, to be brutally honest. Um, the fortunate thing for us was that command lost to Celtic, which means we're still clear in third place by three points, and Hearts and Hibs obviously drew, so we maintained six points in Hibs and um, nine points over, sorry, ten points over Hearts. No, sorry, seven over Hibs and um, 10 over hearts my maths has gone wrong mm-hmm. so w- we should finish minimum 4th and provide Celtic win the Scottish Cup then we should have Europe but I'm very concerned for Saturday and I don't. it's going to be hard for me to watch if I'm being honest because the only team I want to see win the title at Pataudry is Aberdeen I don't <laughs> want to see Celtic winning it at Pataudry I yeah. just can't stomach it to be perfectly honest but I think it's going to happen yeah,
3: It's not even the first time in this run that we've won it against Aberdeen Um, I think it was all, all but done when we played um Aberdeen under Ronnie Dyler, I think it was. His second season. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm mean, like We won it, we won that game three mm-hmm. two. That rings a bell. But like we were we were running away with that game and then suddenly like threw a couple of goals. Um but yeah, that that was the game that clinched it. So um it wouldn't it would be the first time we've won the, the league officially against Aberdeen. Um Yeah, thanks for but, that. No, no <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I think Aberdeen just looked like a team that were struggling with injuries. Um because when um, the fact that McLennan went off so soon kind of took away your chance in the break, I think um you were already without Shinny you're already without Niam again you've already been out Gary Steven, there's a lot of creative players in there. Or, not but him. He's not exactly creative in but it's yeah, a diving but, force. it's a diving it force. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what I'm just go for the, I'll pick up. Um, so there, there was a lot of key players missing for Aberdeen in that game, um, and even then you managed to hold out mostly thanks to Joe Lewis, as you said. Um, and it's two questionable penalties. I think <laughs> the the only question I would have for the second penalty is why he's constantly getting his arms up in the first place. Hmm. I, I've heard people saying he's using leverage to jump up because he's going to clear it. You're not allowed to use Joe. <laughs> well, it depends so, on the
1: referee um, and their interpretation and their consistency. Uh, but I,
3: think uh, it, I think it was harsh. Um, I certainly, think, the I think, booking, certainly the booking aspect was harsh. I think oh, the booking, it's never a booking. I, I totally, the, the first booking, yes, I'll give him that one. That was a stupid challenge, but the, the, it's never, and a month or Sundays, a second booking, so I don't understand that one at all because all he's really done is ruffle his hair. Yeah, um, but yeah, Catech has gone down very easily in both instances, um, and ultimately it's uh Tavenier that's put away two, two penalties it's made the difference, which um has delayed our title party for a lot longer, which is good, yeah, it's fine. It it's... Um, yeah, I mean. The, the, um, if it comes down to goal difference, which is the only where Rangers can win this title now, is they'll definitely win it because they are only two uh, goal difference. There's a 55 goal difference for Celtic, 53 for Rangers. But there has to be a six-goal shift at least for Celtic to lose all three games and Rangers to win all three. So they will definitely win the league if, if, if they somehow yeah. have this scenario where Celtic lose all three games and Rangers win all three. Um, there's no other way for that to happen. So um, that's all that's really left to decide um, I, I think... I think the league's done pretty much in every position. Uh, Rangers have clinched at least second. Um, Aberdeen and Kilmarnock's one question. Um, I think the Hibs are still chasing down fourth as well, but I don't think that's going to change. Um, and then, no, um, well, we may as well talk about them before we move on to the bottom half. Yeah. Um, because it f- f- was an interesting game because I thought Hearts started really well and then when Hibs came into the game, they dominated it. At- um, they should have done better with the penalty. Um, I think the it's one. I'm always feel these penalties are the, the kind of harsh one because Pepe like, doesn't see him coming. He kind of comes round the blind side of him and he's trying to clear a ball. So instead of clearing the ball, he kicks a um, man. Mm-hmm. And it's te- I mean it is technically right, but it always seems harsh to give it. So um, but then Hibs at the post, but uh, and you think that's maybe the chance gone. Then Hibs take the lead. Um, a bit of an unfortunate break for Berra I'm not sure he could leave it though because uh, there was some working at the back post um, but then somehow like Hibs went from being in full control of this game and what we like were going to get the one that was probably going to be enough to, to somehow got like, Harts back in and it's a well worked goal like Piezo manages to slide in and get the, the equaliser um, making up for giving me the penalty I suppose but uh, and then one each was, was maybe a bit of a, a steal for Hearts, uh, I think, in this game, but they got it, um, and then there was a nice fight at the end, because they'd have to end in some kind of fight I suppose. Um, I've, I've no idea what happened exactly, because it looked like it, Piezzo and Stevenson were kind of tangled up in each other, um, it, Piezzo then kicks Stevenson and the two of them end up on the ground, and then Steve McLean runs over and just jumps on top of him. It's, it, <laughs> it was mentioned like a rugby tackle, it looked more like, you know that Game you'd play at school when you just some people got pylon and some people got bundle, and it's what that game that's what it looked like he was joining in with just like pylon, go for it, as if he wanted everybody else to join in. I've no idea why.
1: <laughs> see, I didn't get to see the game, then um, so I'm trying to picture exactly what happened. I'm going to, to watch sports thing later, but
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen this, just you'll see exactly what I mean if you go and watch this. It's just McLean, it's literally pylon. <laughs> Um the other interesting thing from this was um Heckenbottom's interview after the game. Um he said the fourth official swore at him. Um apparently this will be dealt with internally, which I don't think should be. I think we should we should get a bit of transparency. Ha 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 transparency <laughs> in Scotland. Don't be sure um, but it was the reaction of if it had been anybody else that'd smashed his teeth in. Yeah, I read that comment. He's gonna get pulled up for saying that. I'll bet it, like, he'll get cited. Mm-hmm. So he gets sworn up by a fourth official and the manager gets pulled up for it. I could he was trying to make a joke, but because of the way it's been reported, I think he's gonna get in trouble for it. Um but yeah, I mean I, I I want to know I want to know what happens with this fourth official. I'm not interested in this, what's deal with it internally. John Fleming apparently has a no um tolerance policy for this kind of thing. <laughs> First I've heard of it. Let's yeah. let's see let's see it proved. Just be open about it. Tell us what happened. Probably the he says thing. And we'll
1: yeah. Well, you know the chances of the um, anyone at the SFA and the refereeing association being open and transparent is about as likely as a pig flying it, over the sky right now. But um, <laughs> we won't go there. So, yeah, that draw probably um, I think Hibs' chance of finishing third are going to be. Hamper, because they say they're seven points behind us. I don't see them catching us in third, and certainly Hearts won't. But Hibs could still c- catch command, depending on what happens um, in the weekend games. But moving on to the probably what was looking a more exciting um, battle at the bo- bottom. Uh, Dundee, um, <laughs> it looks it looks like curtains for them. Yep. Up up against ten men for a good part of half an hour, um, at three um and <laughs> you know the, I think that's them. That's them gone now. And the fact that in that last minute, Dundee lost the late goal. St Murn scored a late equaliser to get a valuable draw with St Johnston. Hamilton did the same against Livingston. A crazy weekend at the bottom of it. looks as though
2: yeah.
1: Dundee, as they've been tough for an all season, they managed to solve the goal scoring problem because they scored three, but they didn't solve the other problem, which was um, their ropey
3: defence because they lost four. Yeah, it was like every time Dundee scored, and like, the, the first one's a penalty. Um i d I'm not they were questioning whether this was a penalty in the sports scene. Um but it, it's because Aribi, I think, his name was. Um it's kind of between the ball and the Dundee player that's trying to, to attack. But Aribi falls down and then takes the Dundee player with him and they're saying, Oh, it's a bit harsh and Aribi grabs the ball. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But as he falls down, he grabs it with his arms. So for me, it's at least handball, no doubt it was a penalty. Um, but then, as soon as Dundee score, uh, it's up there under the park and it's an equaliser. Um, and it happens again that Dundee take the lead and immediately another equalize. Um So, even when Dundee were taking the lead, they weren't hanging out on it long enough. So. That's made themselves a problem. I prefer it reversed um, the other way around. When Motherwell took the lead for 3-2, they'd immediately done the seat wise um, Maybe Motherwell can't really make any comments about that. But you see, for half an hour, they played against 10 men. In a game, they've already scored three goals. Uh, Two yellow cards for Gordon. I don't think either of them were a problem. Um, And then we we get this bizarre moment before Motherwell's winner, where a penalty gets given for handball, which then gets overturned because the ball was out of play. Um, but the ball was out of play for a corner, and they give a goal kick. <laughs> oh <God. laughs> just, nobody seems to understand what happened there. It's, I can understand overturning the penalty, but the ball was still up. It's not a corner, not a goal kick. Why have you given a goal kick? It's just, just useless. Is that Kevin Clancy again? Um, so. Not one of my favourite referees. Um, but yeah, then, like you say, Mother, will get the injury time winner and that, coupled with what else was happening elsewhere in the other two games. Um, it's just... Like, if Dundee didn't have bad luck, they'd have no luck. Um, but it can't just be bad luck because can't keep the ball in the net. Previously couldn't score, but seemed to always sort that away. Um, nine defeats in a row. Yeah. That's that's relegation for them. You're going down and giving everything went for them in this game, they deserve it. There's no other way about it. It's just they deserve to go there. Even Jim McIntyre's chucked it. He's just yeah. basically said that it's gonna be hard for us to stay up now. And as you say seven points behind with three games left. You're right, it's gonna be hard to stay up. You haven't won nine games any of the, you've lost the last nine games, not just haven't won. Mm-hmm. So but the chances you win in the next three. Yeah. Pretty In fact, I don't even think it's going to be a case that St and Hamilton won't pick up the extra points because they can't catch Hamilton I don't they, think. Can, they, they can They're they can nine behind and
1: they've got a okay, the better yeah, goal yeah, difference yeah. by two um, so if they were to beat Hamilton at yeah. the weekend and win their last two and Hamilton lost their last two they could overhaul Hamilton and goal difference yeah. um, So I, ex-
3: I expect both Hamilton and St Murdon to pick up enough points so it means even if Dundee won their last three games it will no matter because yeah. the two of them are, are doing a better job of picking up the points um, because they're, the two of them are trying to avoid the playoff uh, that's the interesting part of the league but I think even that is going to be a case of Hamilton are just finding enough to get the results they need to stay above St Mirren um, I mean even I think John was the one that said that a few weeks ago that Hamilton are are very capable of scoring goals but they're capable of leaking goals as well and nothing else stated that better than the game at the weekend here um, because they were but it was a decent game at 0-0. Um, I think there was maybe a shoot for a penalty with Goggich handballed it at 0-0. Um, but yeah, that was, after that, Hamilton scored a couple of goals. Um, the second one was for a penalty spot. Again, big decision, I think. Uh, no doubt about that one. But 2-0 up. You think, oh, that's Hamilton in a great position as you are going to get three points at like this. And then they completely bin it. It's just like, the, in the space of about 10 minutes or something like that, having to score three goals. Tufi Pickman and uh, somebody else. Lost I think it was, got the equaliser. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, fought back well. Um, I feel credit to them for that. You think, uh, at that point, you are thinking, um, maybe Dundee have still got a chance, because, like you say, at this point, Hamilton are losing, St Mirren are losing at this point. Dundee were level. Dundee get a winner, suddenly it's all very exciting at the bottom again but it's just Hamlet get that late equaliser was pretty much the last kick of the ball um, and then over at Paisley you had St Johnson went down uh, St Johnson took away with about 10 minutes left in that game when St Murn actually played pretty well uh, but the, the Mullen uh, equaliser was an absolute peach. Uh, probably probably go over the weekend uh, I think um to, to get that point. So I think the the question here for is going to now be: Did Hamilton bin a couple of points that they should have got? Did they earn a point they maybe shouldn't have got? Did St earn a point they, should, they maybe shouldn't have got? How is it going to shape up for three games to go? Well, in the three weeks time, will those points be important to keep them out of the playoffs? I think they're going to be enough to keep them at the relegation spot.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that um... then the two of them will not finish 12th, but one of them obviously will finish um, in that 11th place. And But the looks lots of things that could come down to next week's game between um, Hamilton and St Myrne. You've got to think that on, on current form that it could be that the winner of that game ends up staying up. But you just never know with this league. I mean, Hamilton could get a crucial win at Dundee and St Myrne could drop points at Mothers, which would then make it uh, five points. Um or St. Mirren could overhaul them by a point. You just don't know which way it's going to go this weekend. It's it's fascinating. Um it but um yeah, I think Dundee, what will happen with them is they might well win a game between the end of the season. They will not win three. That's the, the amount they've won since Jim McIntyre's come in three games, they're not gonna win three in the spin all of a sudden after nine defeats, which is um since the since it became SPFL, that's a um a division like a top flight record, nine defeats in a row. Um, yeah. There's no I mean, way that they're staying up, and Matt and Ty will
3: probably lose his job. I wouldn't be surprised if it's done this weekend. I think um, I think I want to probably beat Dundee, yeah. um, and I think it's, it will come down to whether someone can take enough points off Liverpool. Just to yeah. whether Dundee are officially relegated or not. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so. Um, and moving on into the the championship, well, um, Ross County. Um, they only needed a point on Friday night to clinch promotion at the first attempt. Well, they did it in style by getting 0-3 and a 4-0 win, which um, put Queenie South right back in, um, well and truly in trouble. But um, congratulations to Ross County first and foremost for bouncing yep. well, straight back up. And,
3: it's, you know, no, it's, it's not happened off. No, it's not. It's only a couple of times the last 20 years, so full um, credit for them for that. I think um, Hearts were the last time we did it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hearts and
3: were before then. Yeah, so yeah, it's uh, full credit to them for coming back up. Great to have a, a Highland team back in the league. Um, I say that someone that doesn't travel to the games anymore. <laughs> I know plenty of people are moaning about the fact oh, we need to go up to Dingwall again. You know what? Dingwall's a nice big place, exactly. I quite like to trip to go to Dingwall. I might be in the minority in this one, but I, I, I actually preferred Dingwall to um, Inverness to be honest. Um, just because. Dingwall, like, like Victoria Park, or whatever they're calling it this week, is a lovely little stadium that feels like a proper stadium and is in, right in the middle of the town. Whereas the Caledonian Stadium, or whatever they're calling that this week, is on the edge of the water. <laughs> Pretty much not even in the Inverness. It's just next to the Kesset Bridge. Um, it's very windy. It's very soulless. Um, it's just everything's wrong with these flat pack stadiums. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah I'm Of the two I would rather go to a Ross County game than go to an Inverness game um, But yeah I think um, they're, Again they're there on merit they've, they've been the best team in the, the championship This season um, But Certainly I looked like Air United for a while But they fell away pretty badly um, And it remains to be seen How they've got on in the playoffs now um, but that's, That will be done United, Air United and Inverness um, so Air United nevertheless will play their final games this weekend and then they'll be the ones that play the the, the first of the the six games or whatever.
1: Yeah, the 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 only question to be asked is um, who's finishing third to um be away um yeah. in, in the first leg. Um so at the moment Air are ahead of Callie Thistle on goal difference so Carlisle will host the first leg, he'll host the second leg as things stand, um, obviously, with this weekend that could change. Um, but both sides, to their credit, when um, it could have been easy to wind down, um, did their bit to ensure that the bottom end of the table was um, interesting because Aloa were looking like they were going to um, survive had they held on against Carlisle, they'd um, be mathematically secure. Instead, Sean Rooney and Charlie Telford so Trafford, within five minutes turned the game on its head to win that game 2-1. And, uh, Air United won at Partick Thistle. Again, a win for the home that meant they were um, mathematically safe. But, um, but Air did well turn that around to come back and win 2-1. I've
2: um, yeah. been it? beaten
1: by Partick a few days earlier because I thought Partick were searched for that game at the weekend because Air had a lot of injuries as well. But well done to Air United for making that interesting. It makes the Queen of South v Partick Thistle game all the more
3: interesting. If I'll walk and pick up anything in their game. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was at home. I think Allah's away here, but um Yeah, that could be I mean it, it might be that of the Thistle isn't all that relevant at all. Um I'm I actually hope Allah can do something in that game, at least even for a while, so that it filters through. Yeah. <laughs> so we could just mayhem him a part of this Aquarius, as they'll the panic. Uh I think that, that I mean the, the the result of the weekend is probably um Morton winning away to Fermland. Uh, that's save them, they're done, they're fine, safe again. Um, yep. and, and the weird way this league works out, they're now, like, fifth. <laughs> I know, it's bizarre.
1: Um, and Dunfermline are mathematically safe, although they're technically three points clear of Queenie Seth and hour and a point clear of Partick. Because Partick and Queenie Seth play each other, only one of them can overtake Dunfermline, so Dunfermline's safe. Um, but... Falkirk, um, they need, they need a miracle. They need to beat Ross County and I know Ross County don't have to play for but um still as if they get cup finals to rest players for so they want to go out in a high and Falkirk can't play um, Kayla Dunn. But that was the, bizarre, the most bizarre quote of the weekend after they beat two off Dundee United which means their relegation is almost confirmed. Ray McKinnon comes out and said um, if you told me in autumn that we'd have been three points behind getting into the last game of the season I'd have took that. You've been in charge since the end of August, Ray. Um, where's your ambition? Mm-hmm. Um, surely your aim should have been um, be at least 8th at that point, even if you'd said yeah. I'd have taken 8th at that point. But to say coming you know, being three points behind
3: with one game to go and have everything out of your hands, come on. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Because, I mean, the, the, the permutations for Falkirk are that to avoid everything, they need to absolutely horse-rush county Hope that I'll, uh get beat and hope will beat Queen of the South. Then they can then they can get out into eighth position. That is the only way it can happen. It seems highly unlikely given they need a nine-goal swing there between Falkirk and Queen of the South. Um, yeah. What what is more likely for Falkirk is if they can beat Ross County and that that's they have to absolutely beat Ross County. Anything less and they're down. If they do that and Alloa lose, they'll at least finish ninth, which lives in the playoffs. Because the goal yeah. difference is better than the was, So oh. that's that's the likely scenario for Falkirk if they're going to survive at all. But I don't see them beating us, county. So I, I think Falkirk are done. So they're going to yeah, win one. Um, the interesting point is can Allah pick up anything that makes it worth it for this Queen of South? Interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it, it depends on what your um, approach has. because they're might um, be looking to rest some of a better person of the playoff um, but I think he would like to be professional because at the end of the day they've got to respect the league they'll play well, as good a team as they can I'd imagine and, and probably they, they'll want to get some confidence
3: boost ahead of the playoff yeah and as you point out if they can stay ahead of Inverness to get the, the home leg second that gives them that little bit of advantage so they want to keep that mm-hmm. I would imagine at least so I can't see them I can't see them not wanting to win mm-hmm yeah,
1: and into uh, League One as things stand, um, Alla will probably play Montrose because Montrose secured um, their place in the the playoffs despite losing the play um, playoff hopefuls for far. Um, but because East Five could only draw with, um, then bottom side Dennis Muir, it means that, um, they're in the playoffs. And considering how long ago they were in the playoffs to avoid getting out of the league. I think that's a remarkable transformation, Stuart to what a job he's doing, um, getting them in that
3: position. Yeah, bright, bright position to me. Yeah. Um, the only thing really to decide in this, again, um, is this home advantage as it's for for the Race Rovers, because they're on a point between the two going into the last game. The only thing to decide at this point is who's going straight down, who's in the playoff because Stenhouse-Muir got a draw um, at home East Fife. And that coupled with the He's fact... Right that lost... in that game. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know, it? But uh, that coupled with the fact Breakin City lost the Rovers means Dennis Muir jumped off the bottom by a point. Um, so, yeah, ahead of this final game, if they can stay ahead of breaking they'll be in the playoffs and Breakin will go straight down. And if not, then obviously there's swap places. Uh, so, and the like, best part of that is they play each other. Mm-hmm. Breakin yeah. are at home. So, um... Muir just need a draw. Yeah, Aberdeen
1: playoff. Uh, we can one. Yeah, it's amazing that a couple of weeks ago we were talking about three teams who'd went down from their respective divisions last season, possibly going down again this season. But um, parts at Thistle, look as though they're going to be fine. And um, well, breaking are obviously they need to make sure they win, so they're the other ones in trouble. But Albion Rovers Two months ago, we wrote them off, saying it's all about preparing yep. for the playoff. They have clinched survival after beating Berwick Rangers. They only need a point, but they... Trump, Berwick and still three goals to nil. Berwick will play in that playoff uh, against what looks as though it's going to be Cove Rangers because they're 2-1 up on East Cobride from the away leg. Um, so it's... Um, but well done Albion Rovers for what a turnaround. I mean, they were also boosted by the fact that they got three points unexpectedly and then one later in the day. But to be fair, they've kicked on from then. They've done the job.
3: Yeah, Yeah, I think the if they're getting a boost of the three points because of Clyde's indiscretion um, helped them out, then lucky them, but as you say they got the three points later that day which meant it was a six-pointer um, but then it's not just that game, they're, they're now eight points clear at Berwick, having been miles behind them previously okay. um, so yeah, like you say, full credit to Albany Rovers for, for making themselves safe Um we're yeah. hoping to, that's the start of something now they can kick on for their next season uh, yeah. But uh, as you say um, It's A bit of a trek for Berwick <laughs> Have to cross the border They always have to cross the border Chris. <laughs> Um, They'll have to walk all the way up to Cove Rangers But it sound's over Because um, yeah. well, there's always a, East Kilbride were 2-0 down in that game They managed to pull one back So there's always a chance that they can do something up In the, the Haylands But it's certainly an advantage Cove
1: Yeah you think so Um, And you know, Speaking of Clyde, they beat Queen's Park and remarkably, they're still in with a chance to the title because Peterhead were two minutes away or um, a minute away from being champions and then Peter Medal scores a 93rd minute equaliser for Stirling Derby which means that goes um, to the final day of the season.
3: Um, and, and I can't remember what the fixtures are. <laughs> they're, they're, both away. I know Clyde, Peterhead, they're both away. Clyde are at Cowden Beach, Peterhead at Queen's Park. So um... The, the the League 2 trophy will be sitting somewhere between Hamden and Cowdenbeath so
1: the helicopter could be um, diverting to Fife um, it won't be the first thing to see a helicopter out in Fife but that's for other reasons <laughs> um, but yeah it could well be that Peter Hedge get Hamden glory as well You right. um, would he would, <laughs> he would st- um, you would think that they were they're still favourites, but I think as well they've got the better goal difference of the two. Um yeah, they're five of a goal difference, so if yeah, Clyde to win gave game a goal difference, they'd need to win by five
3: six goals. <laughs> yeah, so so had effectively need a draw, um, unless something crazy happens with Clyde. Um Queen's Park have nothing to play for, but so, neither of the Kevin Bees, so. <laughs> Yeah,
1: but Clyde's momentum for the playoff is probably what they're thinking about just now. Um, if, yeah,
3: I, if, if the gap's a bonus, but
1: um, if they kind of get up through the, the conventional route, then they'll at least get their form game into the playoff against Edinburgh City, who haven't been playing as well mm-hmm. throughout the
3: weekend again. That's the other thing still to decide. Because if Edinburgh City lose and an Athletic win... Well, yeah, I've seen that. ...and an Athletic have a better goal offers. So it could be Edinburgh City would have to play... Whoever comes, whoever might come down and and Clyde will play either Athletic. Now Clyde will have a home advantage because they've already gone the second spot at least, assuming they don't win the league. Well, in this case it would be ahead. Um, so there's there's a few permutations to go with this game, uh, this final game, the games in week two. So it's, uh, there's there's action in all three divisions, which is good. Yeah. yeah of the anyway. um, It's almost it's almost more interesting in the Premiership at this point because. A lot of stuff hasn't been finalised in the Premiership, but you can kind of guess where it's going. Yeah,
1: I mean, you never know, it just takes a couple of um, results um, here and there to to go one way or another and then things could be thrown back up, like, you know, if St Myrna were to win it at the weekend and Hamilton only draw, then St Myrna's ahead of them in goal difference and it makes that midweek game next week all the more interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, if Aber- well, I say if Aberdeen to sell, if if Ebs were to go to Ibrox and win, they're all of a sudden right back in the mix for um, you know the European sports That could go to the last game. You just never know. But um, but yeah, I'm getting uh, what you're saying. It looks as though most things will be wrapped up fairly quickly. Certainly in terms of Dundee. Um, yeah, I think they will they're things to go down. Um, it's- whether or not there'll be a Dundee derby in the Championship. That's going to be another thing. Um, but Dundee have been picking up good momentum getting into the playoffs which is key for them and they'll have that week's break because they're finishing second
3: yeah yeah I think the the tricky part for them might be the the Premiership team Um, especially if the the, the good thing from the perspective of both Superborne and Hamilton is they are picking up points they have a bit of momentum there the two of them so even if they do end up in the playoffs they're going into it with a little bit of confidence Mm
1: -hmm. yeah Exactly. Um. Is there anything else that you want to cover tonight?
3: Um. The only other oh, thing I, I would uh... say broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing I would say is um. Uh, get Wilson, well uh, goalkeeping coach of Hamilton Brian Potter. Um. He collapsed. He's at a hospital. Yeah. Uh, he's at a hospital, so that's that's, that's good news. But um. Yeah. Uh, not, never good, never good to see this. So uh, get well soon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, I mean, he was a, a, a keeper that. It was only a member for one thing. He came on as a sub for um Race Rovers and the League Cups the Cocoa Cups to be final, um because uh, Scott Thompson get sent off and he saved the penalty for man Lawrence it, put them in the final. <laughs> so, it's a good claim to fame, to be fair. All right, not bad. i d yeah. I'm
3: not gonna talk about that final one. No. <laughs> but
1: final final thoughts. Um, you know, just uh, no our thoughts are with, um, you know, the McNeil and Chalmers family, and of course the um, the remaining Lisbon lines who are going through this just now. So our thoughts are with them. Indeed. Right. Cheers, Chris. Cheers, John. <laughs>